for the big baby. Raging syphilis? Maybe it's the Edwardian equivalent of that signal. That might get some angry responses. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the only podcast dedicated to recapping every episode of Downton Abbey, the show that makes us feel super tan. (laughs) I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are married. But only until Kelly discovers the dark secret of my past. Oh, no. That sounds kind of exciting, actually. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you don't... I I look forward to the discovery. (laughs) It should be a fun time. I hope it involves a bastard child. It it will be dramatic. Okay. Yes. I'm marking my calendar for points unknown. (laughs) So stay tuned, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening. As of this recording, we are pushing nearly 350 downloads worldwide. Wow. We have listeners from all around the globe. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're apparently popular in Argentina, so... A big shout out to our listeners in the Cordoba province. Mm-hmm. Gracias por escuchar. Yeah, I was actually I was trying to go online to find out what a traditional Argentinian greeting would be, but the consensus was to kiss them on the cheek, <laughs> which is difficult to do in podcast form. So you can mail them a kiss. <laughs> mail me a kiss. Mail me your love. And we're back. That song went to number three in 1957. Mail me a kiss by Honey and the cantaloupes. All right, so definitely download that track. <laughs> that is a keeper. Yes. We're excited that people are listening. Uh, we, people have been chiming in on Twitter, uh, so you can check that out. Check out our feed, at 5 Maggie Smiths. Yeah, I wish we could give a shout-out to all the awesomeness. We might have, like, a Twitter, like, best of in a couple episodes here. Everybody who's been involved on Twitter, thank you for adding meaning to my long, lonely work day. <laughs> it's really, it's been special. Yeah, it's just these moments of pretend human connection yeah make life worth living really it really does <laughs> uh between drinks <laughs> yeah yes. and uh, we even have a few itunes reviews to share that's right so tom uh read a little bit of an itunes review all right well our, our first one here uh is by malls rocks uh it says 10 maggie smiths i could give this podcast 10 maggie smiths can't wait for the next one. She busted through the rating system. That's right. She shattered all previous records for numbers of Maggie Smiths. Uh, like Maggie Smith herself. <laughs> That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. She is bold and unconventional. Way to have chutzpah, Mall's <laughs> Rocks. Way to go. Yes, indeed. We're impressed. Yeah. We have another one that uh, says, Loved the podcast from Jammy23, right. whose name really makes me want some toast, <laughs> and to hang out with Michael Jordan. I was going to say. She says, hey guys, I just listened to your podcast and loved it. I am buying the season one Downton Abbey tomorrow. I have never seen an episode, but heard a lot about it. So I am prob going to watch the entire season this weekend. Hee <laughs> hee. Thanks for giving me a little bit of background, and I can't wait till your next podcast. Well, uh, if you're listening to this, Jammy23, the wait is over. Oh, at so, long last. So you congratulations. Will, you will no longer be shut out of the Downton Abbey snobbery that has <laughs> plagued you to this day. <laughs> yes. No, but thank you. That is a great yes, review. We're, we're very appreciative. Yeah, those were both five-star reviews. Yes, we, we did get one non-five-star review, which, which is okay. Uh, it's, it says, looks interesting, and it's by Dame Chatelaine. 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 Not, not sure how to Chatelaine. pronounce it, although it, it means Lady of the Man. I do believe. Ooh, fancy. My pedantic is coming out. Um, It says, 
I am always looking for new podcasts. Just started watching Downton Abbey. Looking forward to what you have to say. We'll come back and rate it after I listen for a while. Oops, looks like I have to rate it now. I'll give it a three and adjust it later. Thanks. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah. I would not want to be rated by someone who did not have a frame of reference unless you have multiple iTunes accounts and you want to just, you know, juke <laughs> the stats for us a little bit. Right. We wouldn't complain or look into it too closely. Yeah. And no, we won't be offended if you rate us under five stars. We would ask, though, if you are going to rate us two stars or below. Mm-hmm. Can you be funny and creative about it? Yeah. Like, go to Yelp. <laughs> see, see how it's done. Yeah. Actually, you, just just go to Yelp and just cut and paste. Yeah. Like, just find somebody that gave a Taco Bell a one-star rating. Yeah, and, and just, just paste it in. Yeah, we would we would actually very much enjoy that. Mm-hmm. That would be very funny. Yeah, little tip out there for everybody. This <laughs> is how you review on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, so that that's our uh, feedback with our community, our listener community out there. Oh, yeah, we finally figured out a name for them. That's right, we did. We finally figured out a name for you, community. <laughs> uh, it took a long slog through an Edwardian slang dictionary <laughs> which produced no results yeah although that, it was entirely I did, worthless i did briefly consider the option of calling everybody <laughs> hoydens and spikes <laughs> right which would have been awesome in its way in its way but we yeah. came upon something that made more sense actually tom did yes uh, i i realized that we could call you the tenants which is uh nice simple it, it places you firmly in the hierarchy below us mm-hmm. which it's i think ge- it's gender neutral as right well. it is gender neutral that was important to us and and maybe it reminds you of david tenant mm-hmm. so it's which got that going probably for i would like to see that venn diagram the downton <laughs> abbey uh david tenant venn diagram yeah for those of you out there who appreciated it keep listening to the podcast there will be more good news for you later. Yes. So we were so excited this week because the episode is only about 45 minutes long. <laughs> right. Like last week, we thought our heads were going to explode because yeah. the the first episode is something like an hour and 15 minutes long. Yeah. And we were Super like, long. we were operating under the mistaken assumption that every episode would be that long. We were like, how are we ever going to have time for discussion right. and insightful commentary? Which is what we're known for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, the episodes from here on out pretty much to the finale are are this manageable, like, 45-minute length. Yes. Uh, so yeah. we can tell you a little bit more on the background of the show. We mm-hmm. decided to call it Up Yours Downstairs because, number one, once Downton Abbey finishes airing, we can, you know, continue talking about Edwardian stuff. Right, as we uh, love to do. Be- it's pretty much the chief use of our time. <laughs> yes. And, you know, also because if you watch things that are set during this time period, no matter how kind and nice and enlightened the upper classes are, anytime it comes down to treating their servants with dignity and respect like a human being or getting their own way, they invariably choose to get their own way. Yeah. There are a few exceptions to the rule, but by and large... Yeah, like, basically, like, Lord Grantham is, like, the nice aristocrat. He's basically not as evil as he could be. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much his that's qualification That's the, the low there. bar that has been set for him. He's like, I could right. be pure evil, but I'm just going to be mm, 10% evil. Right. It's always like, you know, legally, I could kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Note, this may not be true. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, our class solidarity is with the lower classes. Exactly. Just FYI. Yes. That is where we're coming from. From. That's where this podcast is coming from. Uh, yeah, so if this offends you, you're probably a landed British noble. Yes. And there's so few of you out there that we're not <laughs> really worried about alienating you. Yeah, that wasn't really our plan was to 
ride the waves of the landed aristocracy <laughs> to popular acclaim. Well, not now, anyway. <laughs> right. At the beginning of our relationship, <laughs> things quickly devolved from there. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know what I'm talking about, read the book Mansfield Park. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we want to give a quick shout out to our graphic designer, yes, the lovely and amazing and ludicrously talented it's Susanna Coolidge. Yes, you just talked over when I said her name. Well, it's radio; these things happen. No, it doesn't, Tom. Listen to a morning show. They talk over each other all the time. I listen to lots of morning shows, Kelly. You don't. <laughs> Uh, her name is Susanna Coolidge. <laughs> yes. She is a wonderful graphic designer who can do something like listen to me say, all right, it's called Up Yours Downstairs. I don't know what I want the logo to be. I'm thinking like a lady in a corset, like flipping everybody off. Yeah. <laughs> and then she just sends back an email that's like, uh, here's this thing I came up with. It has nothing to do with what you said. <laughs> right. She just completely ignored it. And Which came, was the right choice. Yeah, because her way was so much better. We were instantly won over by it, as, yes. as we hope all of you are as well. It is really delightful. So yes. thank you, Susie, for doing that. It is beautiful. Uh, also, another quick shout-out. We mentioned him last week, but uh, the person who remixed the Downton Abbey suite is Christopher Curalato. Right. Curatolo? Which- I think Curatolo. You say Curatolo, I say Curatolo. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing the internet. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, but he is the DJ behind the remix that we use for our theme music. So please check out his SoundCloud profile. Yeah, it is still, even after all this time, the only remix or gyro tune mm-hmm. of the Downton Abbey theme song on the internet. There's only one explanation for this. W- what would that be? Well, clearly last week the world ran out of both aspiring DJs and marijuana. <laughs> God forbid. Come Those on, are... Humboldt County. If I don't hear Dubstep Abbey soon, I'm going to <laughs> lose my mind. <laughs> that I'm Now that you've said that, I, I really badly want to hear that. I know, right? Thanks it would a be lot. Sh- <laughs> Anyway, somebody, please. Yeah, really. Anyone. Get get on that. It it continues to astound me that we can make random demands on a little little listen-to podcast, and they aren't instantly fulfilled. I know. What is that? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I guess let's start talking about this week's episode. Absolutely. Yes. Bad Um, news, everyone. (laughs) No Laura Linney this week. It it is bad news. Well, because, again, the, the PBS episodes were divided up differently. Um, and so she's mostly talking about uh, events that will take place in the third mm-hmm. episode. So if you were hoping that Laura Linney would be on hand for this second episode to tell you that an entailment is not a British slang word for Pippa Middleton's ass, <laughs> you are going to be most disappointed. Although perhaps it should be. Oh, I think it definitely should be. Yeah, somebody get Britain on the phone. Let's <laughs> let's get on this. Get on the red line. <laughs> Uh, so we will just, rather than that, we will uh, dive straight into uh, the episode here. This is uh, Downton Abbey Series 1, Episode 2, for everyone playing along at home. That or is correct. drunk people who have forgotten why they hit play. <laughs> yes. Uh, Netflix version. And this one starts off with a official credit sequence, which we did yeah. not get on Episode 1. Uh, it reminded me of Total Eclipse of the Heart for some reason. <laughs> the, the music video for that. I suppose that's true. I was I was trying to write down my name for this credit sequence. Uh, I think the the title I came up with it was Mundane Actions, Ominous Music. <laughs> <laughs> that could is, really describe all of Downton Abbey. <laughs> that's actually true. Yeah, because it's just like somebody picking up a kettle or like dusting a chandelier. Yeah, or that's the one that bell. always sticks with me. Yeah, is the person. 
Well, and it starts out with, I assume, Lord Grantham walking that dog. Yes. Because it's yeah, why it starts not? out with the top half of a dog and the bottom half of a dude. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see an artist's rendering. <laughs> <laughs> the top half of a dog and the bottom half of a dude. Yes. I believe that was actually a work by Magritte, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's much better than your average British credits. Anybody who ever watched the show Coupling <laughs> knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because British credits usually either have a really cool visual and then a, just like you know some crappy music played over it or really good music over a stupid uninspired graphic right uh so these people have clearly been watching hbo it's classy that's what we're saying it's a very good very classy set of credits if you are like us and you like to watch things with the subtitles on just to make sure you know what's happening right the netflix version has excellent subtitles they are yellow Mm-hmm. I would love for some sort of worldwide legislature to be passed <laughs> where all subtitles have to be yellow because they show up on light and dark uh, backgrounds. Exactly. I don't understand why this hasn't happened yet. But Where is our world government when we need oh! it? Yeah. End of days. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So and so we, we start off with Matthew and his mom uh, arriving in, in a car. Um, and this is when is this? Because this I, is in 1913, right? I think it's March of 1913. Yeah, because what we realized is that the PBS version has little title cards when the time of or more like a timestamp. Yeah, like a timestamp, and it's like March. But of the 1913. Netflix version doesn't. Yeah, which explains why in the first episode we thought everything was happening <laughs> in like two weeks. Yeah. That's Bear right. that in mind. We're only 50% as dumb as we thought we were. Yeah. So. Which is, hey, I'll oh. take what I can get. Yeah, it's moving in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, so Matthew and his, his mom, they arrive at, a, I guess it's some sort of little house they're going to be staying in. I, I don't know that it's clear how they got this house. The but... geography on this show is not as well delineated as it could be. Right. Because we know the Dowager Countess lives in a cottage. Somewhere. Somewhere. Far enough away that she has to, like, put on her outerwear to go someplace. Right, right. And so they're living somewhere in the village in some house that presumably, I hope, they didn't kick some farmer out of. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's too nice for a farmer, but who That's knows? True. Who knows how they got this house? Uh, the house does come with servants. It does. Mr. Molesley introduces mm-hmm. himself. He is the butler slash valet. Matthew is very upset by all this. Oh! Yes, he is. I wrote down that he was a jerk, uh, but then I crossed that out and wrote in "big baby," which I think <laughs> I think is really better about. No, I it. think because he's all like, "Oh, I don't need a servant." Blah blah blah. This is really dumb, and it's it's really uh, annoying. And look, class solidarity and everything. But if somebody just right. offered me a servant, I would be like, "Oh, cool, dude. You want to like hang out and you can help me get dressed and stuff?" Like, yeah, I would try to be open-minded. <laughs> yeah, and and meanwhile, his mom is, you know, her point is that let's act like uh, we belong mm-hmm. to some extent. She says they're expecting us to not know how to behave, right? Exactly. So, and she doesn't want to prove them right, which I think is absolutely the correct answer, Harriet Jones. <laughs> yes. Harry Jones has the correct answer about everything, and I cannot understand why Matthew does not listen to her. I can't. Well, because he's a big baby. Well, he is a big baby. Babies don't listen to anyone. Much like Doctor Who, by the way. I just just want to go on the record that I think Harry Jones was fully correct to shoot down the Sycorax spaceship <laughs> <laughs> on Doctor Who. I mean, come on. 
Like, you're going to drop in for a day and decide that you get to run the world. Fuck off. Go back to Gallimaufry or wherever you're from. It's Gallifrey. Yeah. Look, if it had been Christopher Eccleston, I would have believed it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's um, just going to keep happening, by the way, everyone. <laughs> so if you haven't seen Doctor Who, I doubt that us randomly spouting unintelligible <laughs> names of science fiction locales is really going to do that much for you. It's true. Go listen to a Doctor Who podcast, of which I am confident there are some. Um, and then we've got uh, we've the Lord and Lady, uh, Lord Grantham and McGee. Oh, McGee is wearing fabulous dress in this scene. So pretty with the piping and the buttons and the velvet. A+. plus. Okay. The fashion in this whole episode is a thousand times better. Yes. The first episode, like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, are we wrong to have a fashion award on this show? Because these people look like they're dressed in poo. (laughs) They look like the costume designer just, like, was like, ugh. Is it in the early 20th century? Ugh. Just wear these, you assholes. Uh, Fortunately, they either got a bigger budget or a better costumer going forward so yeah. this is very exciting and mcgee just says that she feels like we're rushing into this this being meeting uh matthew matthew crawley who i uh continually refer to as mc in my notes and i kind of like that mc crawley mc crawley wicka, wicka, wicka. <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you for the sound effect you are this is where you need gyro tunes tom <laughs> that's the extent of my beatboxing <laughs> yeah that's not gonna get us very far it's not even good <laughs> um so then we've got them back up. Mom and MC are back at the cottage. Mom is being very polite and introducing herself to a servant and making polite, aristocratic conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Matthew continuing to be a big baby. And he says that he wants to be himself. And I was like, take a look in the mirror. You should consider being someone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did then- anybody get to be themselves in the early part of the 20th century? This just seems silly. <laughs> um, right. Oh, and, and importantly in this, uh, MC... Um, he says something along the lines of, if they're hoping to foist one of the daughters off on me, they've got another thing coming, basically. Basically, he's saying he refused, if he has nothing else, he gets to choose who he's going to marry. Right. So right on cue, in walks Mary Crawley. Mary Crawley. Uh. In a, even I uh, will agree, it's spectacular riding outfit. Oh, her top hat. Yeah. So amazing. It really is. She just looks. Just exquisite. She <laughs> yeah. just looks like a vision. Yeah. Very, so, and I mean, look, that's no, you, I, I, I can tell that you're right because, again, looking at my notes, I see the words I heart Mary. Which, <laughs> which, and I'll just say this right now from here on out, I'm Team Mary all the way. I'm just a huge, like, even though she's often a bitch and, and all these, mm-hmm. you know, bad things, like, I don't care. She's just that's fine. tall and gorgeous. Yeah, so Mary comes in and invites them up to dinner, I think. Right, she does. And then uh, Matthew runs back out after her, and he's like... Right, well, because she, she first invites them to dinner and is like, oh, did I hear, did I hear? And then on her way out, she's like, oh, yeah, I heard. And, yeah. And, and heads on out. So Matthew chases her outside like the idiot that he is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, uh, you know, puts him in his place again and rides off mm-hmm. because she's magnificent. Oh, no. He says he was only joking. And she says, oh, I completely agree. This whole thing is quite a joke, <laughs> uh, which is spectacular. And yes. then, boom, horse out. <laughs> yeah. 
always <laughs> remember when delivering your great line, always be on horseback. Yes, always. Oh, sweet burns. <laughs> Followed by better, riding yeah. off. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Yeah. So, if, number one, get a horse. <laughs> All right? Call That's... us for step two. <laughs> We'll refer you to some kind of horse expert. So then we've got a scene down in the old servant's dining room. Um, and they are all talking smack about MC. Uh-huh. Um, and just like... Well, primarily it's O'Brien. Well, right. Which which can almost be implied. But yes, it is mainly O'Brien being the biggest... Like, she's the most offended uh-huh. by his lack of culture, I suppose, mm-hmm. and, and status. And, well, and they're also... Because to them, their status is affected by this as well Mm -hmm. because if all of a sudden they're working for this chump it makes all of them look bad yeah so that's you know it's what little pride they have that is wrapped up in this job is on the line right carson comes in he he gives gwen a parcel and then they're talking and then uh mrs patmore comes in (laughs) and as she does every time she enters any room immediately starts yelling at daisy Right, that is that is how you can tell Patmore has arrived. Mrs. Patmore is like a four-way cross between Madame Thenardier from Les Miserables, <laughs> the cook from Mary Poppins, Widow Corny from Oliver Twist, and uh, Pip's older sister in the South Park version <laughs> of Great Expectations. I mean, she's just all of these horrible bitches rolled into one. Right. Right. And I mean, it's just like in her mind, she does not understand why anybody would spend a single second not working. Yeah. Like it's just baffling to her. Mm-hmm. Like she's, that's just how she is. And Daisy, she takes it out on Daisy because that's the only one she can take it out on. I yeah. Think, which is uh, bad news for Daisy. <laughs> um, dumb as she is, she doesn't deserve that. No, no. no. Plus, she's adorable. <laughs> she is. She is so cute. Yeah, we, we should continue. also let you know, Tom is Team Daisy and Team Mary. <laughs> right. All the way. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I don't think I have any other... I mean, apart from, you know, Maggie Smith, which right. everybody's on Team She's Maggie not Smith. even a team. Right. Man, like, Maggie... You can't even... You have to apply to be Team <laughs> Maggie Smith. Pass some sort of quiz. Mm-hmm. So then we, uh, we've got a scene with, uh, Mary and McGee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary is talking about how she hates Matthew, which based on what she overheard at the cottage. And she's also just like, <laughs> this is a scene that shows that Mary is a bitch at all. T- like she's a bitch to her mom, who's totally on her side. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, meh, 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 meh. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what we get out of that scene is yeah. that it's not just that she doesn't like Matthew, it's that she doesn't like anyone. Pretty much. Yeah. I can see why you like her. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so then we've got the the big meeting now. MC and his mom arrive for dinner, um, and there's this big, like, dramatic, swelling piano music. And so many tracking shots. I can't believe Aaron Sorkin isn't involved in this somehow. <laughs> yes. It's uncanny yeah and so we get this big sweeping panorama of all the servants well not daisy and all the 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 family lined up in the in the big entrance hall to receive them then the music cuts off and mc says oh it's quite a reception committee and it's just like a screech (laughs) if they had the technology to do so the needle would have definitely scratched across the record yes um so just totally awkward Mm -hmm. so yeah uh, mom meets maggie smith and uh she is also not exactly despite her best efforts not exactly like passing as an aristocrat. Oh, uh, dude. Maggie Smith is the politest one in the room. And if your oh, politeness I mean, is enough to snuff, she don't have time for you. <laughs> that is true. So then they're all having dinner. 
um, as was the plan. Um, they, they talk about the local hospital there. Which and, is endowed by Lord Grantham, right, essentially. Well, we, we find out because they ask... Asks, uh, Mom asks. Mom asks, that's right. Mom asks where the funding comes or who pays for it. <laughs> and Maggie Smith is all, oh, yes, let's talk about money. <laughs> Which is exactly what my grandmother would say. Right. Uh, we do learn that uh, Lloyd George's new insurance plan will be helpful. That's their little historical tidbit right there. Who's Lloyd George? Uh, Lloyd George is, well, he, he later actually became a prime minister at the time. He was just uh, someone in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was the driving force behind the first uh, health insurance or a sort of nationalized health insurance. So he was the Hillary Clinton of his time. <laughs> he, he was the Hillary Clinton of his time. Yes. Uh, you... Uh, you contributed like three pence, and then your employer contributed four pence, and the governor contrib- the government contributed two pence or something like wow. that. Wow! And then and then you got insurance out that of it. That was uh, that was some cheap insurance. <laughs> it was, and uh, it did specifically come with free treatment for tuberculosis for anyone. Wow! So if you had tuberculosis, that was a good time to have it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that I agree with you. I mean, if you have to. Uh, and then we also learn in this dinner that MC is going to, has gotten a job. What? You hear how uh, upset Kelly was there? Uh, Lord Grantham is a hundred times as upset. <laughs> like, he says, a job? The same way you might have said, like, raging syphilis? <laughs> like, he was horrified yeah. that Matthew wanted a job. Because he means to involve Matthew in the running of the estate, which, right. like, what a stupid thing to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I don't understand what is involved, but I don't feel like it can be that much work. Right. Well, and uh, Matthew agrees with you. He feels that he can uh, put in evenings and weekends mm-hmm. on the estate, and that'll be fine. Which, of course, leads to one of the best lines in the series. When Maggie Smith says, what is a weekend? <laughs> and I mean, just genuinely confused right she has no idea this is a yeah. foreign word yeah. to her it's and i mean it's it's a very cute moment because she has just been in this very sheltered aristocratic bubble for her whole life right so i mean she is just baffled and, mm. i mean you know i think she likes to pride herself on kind of being very aware of what's going on right but just the whole concept of a weekend has passed her by when every day for you is not doing anything <laughs> right. and oppressing the underclasses. <laughs> I mean, what do you need a weekend for? I, I fully agree. The one other key thing that, that we note in this dinner, uh, it was a little bit earlier, was that Thomas has a ripped seam on the back shoulder of his jacket. William does. William, sorry, not Thomas, William, which is like, there's a very, it's edited in such a way to really highlight, like we zoom in on the ripped seam and we're clearly supposed to be horrified. And I was. <laughs> I wet my pants. Oh my gosh. That is surprising, but hey, it was a ripped seam. Yeah, well, and we have scotch guarding on the couch, so. <laughs> yeah, we, we foresaw this possibility <laughs> when we bought the couch. Then we go back to the servants. It's another scene of Daisy being dumb and yelled at. Well, this is actually a scene of Daisy being dumb like an American. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she's like, what's the big deal if he has a job? And everybody's like, oh, you stupid Daisy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we get Thomas talking a little smack about MC uh, taking his turn. Which then he gets quite the burn because uh, he's saying that he would never want to work for such a chump. And Mr. Bates says, well, then why did you apply for his job then? Boom! Bam. Yeah. Yeah. He is uh, not uh, very happy with Mr. Bates. No, he's For pointing not. this out in front of everybody. Yeah. He, uh, he totally got caught out on that one. And just to be clear, Thomas had applied to be the butler slash valet 
for Matthew. Right. The job that Molesley mm-hmm. now occupies. Yeah. So then we've got a we've got a scene uh with all the women walking through the hall and I actually noticed this a second time through. It's it's very clear as they would have been, they're walking in a very specific order. Uh-huh. Well, it's that, the order of precedence. Right. Um, which I hadn't really noticed, but then as I looked at it again, I was like, oh, like they're all, they're not just milling along. They've, they've lined up. Yeah. The order just of, like preschool. <laughs> uh, the order of precedence has put Matthew's mom. I assume she has a name. I just always think of her as mom. She's it's a very, Isabel. she's a very motherly character. She is very motherly, Yeah, but her name is Isabel. Yeah. Sometimes cousin Isabel. Right. Far more motherly than McG ever is. Oh yeah. I think McG's children hatched. <laughs> <laughs> They're all kind of bird-like in their own ways. I know. Yeah. Something to consider. <laughs> Possibly. They, they can retcon that in a future season. <laughs> I think that McGee is one of the lizard people. I think I think we're heading towards a Downton Abbey Doctor Who crossover. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which I, I actually would wet my pants <laughs> if, if, if that were to happen. Oh, um, let it be after Matt Smith is gone. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. That might get some angry responses. Um, we don't care. We don't. So Isabel and Maggie Smith are together in the hall, and Isabel is talking about that she would like to help out at the hospital. She, her, uh, her husband was a doctor, and she has done a lot of work as a nurse. She's been trained in everything she like that. She trained as a nurse during the aforementioned Boer War. Yes, that is correct. And then we head back down to the servants' quarters again, where uh, Thomas refers to Maggie Smith as the old lady. Which, which is accurate. Right. She is, in fact, an old lady, but the old lady. So Carson gets very upset. He's pretty much on the rag for this whole scene. <laughs> right. Uh, because he then immediately uh, lays into William. For mm-hmm. the ripped scene, and says you shall you will never appear in such a state of undress again, which I I like that he calls it undress, yeah, as if something was showing, yeah, or you know, which I suppose something was a slit of his shirt was mm-hmm. showing under the jacket. It's such a slutty shirt too, yeah. But I mean, I do have to agree with Carson. Like I genuinely do. Like they're not on a farm. Fix your jacket, dude. Come on. <laughs> well, he felt it go in the room. Oh yeah. He says that he felt it go earlier. I assume in the room. Okay. During dinner. Like, you can't just whip out your sewing kit in the middle of service. I suppose that's possible, but still. (laughs) Well, okay. I still don't approve of it. I will take care never to have any unravelings in front of you. Well, only when we have formal dinners in our manor house. (laughs) So you're probably all right. But Daisy, being the sweet, dumb girl that she is, she'll, like, volunteers to help them sew it, mm-hmm. and, you know, they all kind of talk about Carson a little bit, and the, and, and er, they're all sort of encouraging William. Bates says, you know, he learned your job as you learned yours. He, even Carson wasn't born standing to attention. <laughs> Which Thomas replies, I hope not for his mother's sake. <laughs> Which, which is a funny line, although he still, like, comes off as a jerk saying it. Like, even when he's got a f- good, funny line, he's uh-huh. still just like, ooh, I don't like you. Oh, really? I like him, kind right. of. Well, I'm very much in the minority. Okay, I mean, I, hey. I feel a lot of sympathy for his character. All right. He just strikes me as somebody who's had a hard life uh, I mean, as that's... a closeted gay footman. Like, <laughs> that's a I, lot know, of disadvantages. You make a good point. Yeah. I have, I have never been any of those things, so yeah. who am I to judge? Yeah, then uh, Carson's in his little uh, Carson quarters, wherever that is, um, and William The hands- Carson Cave. The Carson Cave, yeah. And uh, William gives him an envelope that was apparently left out by the door or something, and Carson is shocked by it. M- maybe it's the Edwardian equivalent of the bat signal. <laughs> maybe so. So uh, Carson may be fighting crime momentarily, uh, we-, we wonder. And then we cut to Bates being in the town and seeing Carson 
sort of skulking furtively by in the mm-hmm. town, and Bates is surprised. Yeah, skulking is really much more Thomas's sort of thing. That's right. Well, I mean, it, it struck me as slightly odd, just that why is it okay for Bates to be there, but not for Carson? Like, why does Bates have his... I, I mean, I'm sure there's a good reason. It just struck well, me... Well, I just, I just think that it's leading cinematography. Uh, yeah, fair enough. They're helping us Americans out to figure out that something shady is going on mm-hmm. with Carson. So we then cut to the famous hospital that yes. we've all talked so much about. Um, we meet uh, Dr. Clarkson, who is the... I think he's Scottish, right? He, he sounds very Scottish to yeah. me, but I think also sometimes the Yorkshire accent can trend that way. Oh, yeah, that's true. For those of you who aren't aware, the accent that's used by most of the people in the lower classes on this show is a Yorkshire accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, also heard being used by one Maggie Smith in The Secret Garden, the oh. film version that came out in the 90s. Yeah. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. But his sounds, I think, more Scottish. So yeah, that that was the impression I got. But he is talking with with Isabel. Uh, he's actually was familiar with some of her husband's work, and so he's he's somewhat receptive to her wanting to help out, and that she'll have some idea. Uh, the, and we we come across a uh, a tenant. Yes. Where I got the idea. One of the tenant farmers who has dropsy. Dropsy, a horrible disease with a hilarious sounding name. <laughs> right. We, we get a look at this guy, and it's, you know, very upsetting. I mean, the first look we get at him are a set of raging cankles. <laughs> I mean, just, wow. Right. So, uh, and then it pans slowly up. I mean, he's just, he's struggling to breathe. He's, he's coughing up blood. Discolored. Uh, it's just, it's terrible. He yeah. looks awful. Yeah, it's, it's really unpleasant. So then they're, uh, they're, they're talking outside, and, like, it, he, he's going to die, it seems like, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and she's saying, you know, what's going to happen to the family? And he's like, well, the mom might try to get by. Lord Grantham's not a terribly mean landlord or something like that. But she's pro- it's probably not going to work out. She's yeah. got kids. She's not going to make it. So they're basically screwed. And, and here again, Lord Grantham, he'll let them hang on for a little bit, but he will kick the widow and orphans out into the cold yeah. if they don't pay their rent. Like, he's not an idiot. Come on now. <laughs> so, uh, so Isabel wants to help out. Then we've got... Oh, then that's right. Then we've got our, a great scene between Mosley and uh, Bates. This is one of my favorite scenes of this episode. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah, because Mosley is just complaining and complaining about how MC won't let him do anything. He's, you know, dressing himself and he's picking out his own clothes mm-hmm. and, and everything like that. And Mosley says, I just have to stand here watching a man get dressed. Like a chump. Like a chump, yes. You know, and Bates is, you know, just sort of comforting and, and you know, advises patients or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just, it's fun to see the, the valets talking shop, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. Mosley just can't understand it. Right. You know, presumably he's been valeting yeah. for a while. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much he's buttled <laughs> right. up until this point. But, you know, he's, he's clearly a man who this isn't takes his, pride in his, I mean, this is this his career. His, yeah. This isn't his first trip around the dressing room. He, yeah. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> No, and it's just, you know, it's just nice kind of hearing him air these frustrations because we've heard MC's side of things. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's nice to see sort of how that's affecting uh, the man in his employ. Yeah. And I think uh, I think Bates, actually, I think he should start an advice column. It could be called Valet to Valet. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, right. So we've got uh, Lord Grantham and, and uh, Maggie Smith walking out, and she is pushing the idea that they can just go back to plan A, essentially, mm-hmm. and have Mary marry Matthew, and then she's back on course to inherit the estate and everything. Yep. And on her way to being a uh, dowager countess in her own right. Yeah. 
And uh, Lord Grantham is very smug and self-righteous, as always. You know, he's one of those people who's like, oh, I don't even think about that sort of thing. You yeah, know, and Maggie Smith asks, uh, why must you always pretend to be nicer than the rest of us? Which, good call, Maggie Smith. Right. Because, and- look, anybody who made the face that he made when Matthew said he had a job yeah. is probably meaner than all of them. Like, he couldn't right. even disguise his bafflement and disgust. <laughs> yeah. And so she's got him nailed there, yet he's still like, maybe I am nicer than you. And, and like, we at home in the viewing audience are like, boo! <laughs> yes. We hate you! Yes. So this this is why there were socialist revolutions. Um, uh, then, then we've got a little scene with Gwen and Anna mm-hmm. in their bedroom. Um, Gwen apparently seems to have an admirer. Or, well, she has some sort of secret. Right. It's I very vague. Anna believes that she has yeah. an admirer. Let me clarify, Yes. Although apparently if one of them did, Mrs. Hughes would call a vicar down to have her exorcised. Right. Which, like... Would that would that work? Is that... Also, what about a good old-fashioned firing? Yeah. You know, that's how I always heard uh, these things were dealt with, so... Right. Seems cheaper just to fire her. Yeah, but, I, you know, exorcisms work too, I suppose. Okay. Or, if you or, have any experience with uh, exorcisms <laughs> and undesirable romantic entanglements, uh, please... Please write in and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd love to hear it. So, yeah, they talk about that. They talk about the, the I guess they, they've got the ascent of this marriage. Yeah, Thomas thinking. was in the library. Right. When, uh, we did, and and when, we did actually uh, see him in the Anna background. Anna calls her the old lady, here, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. But she says Thomas overheard the old lady saying that they want to fix her up mm-hmm. with, uh, with uh, Matthew. Right. And, you know, and Gwen is like, oh, that makes sense. She was going to marry Mr. Patrick. And then Anna, being privy to certain things as the uh, the mm-hmm. lady's maid says, you know, but would she have when it came down to it? Yes. And then she blows out the candle. Conversation over. Yeah, which is nice because before that, I wasn't 100% sure what was the status before the series started. Was she basically resigned to it, but then once relieved, just once she didn't have to anymore? Uh-huh. Or was she, like, fighting it the whole way? And it seems like she was fighting the, the whole way. Yeah. To at least, you know, at to least To a certain extent, yeah. And then we've got a scene. Uh, Matthew is arriving at their little house, and guess what? They have a guest. Guess who won't let Mosley hang up his coat? Oh, right. Well, and throughout this scene, we've got the guest is Maggie Smith and uh, McGee. They're both hanging out, uh, having some tea. And then we just get a scene of them talking and MC just continuing to be a jerk to the valet. Oh, yeah. Like, he won't sit down. He's, like, eating directly off of a plate. Yeah, like, he goes and gets his own food from the side table. And Maggie Smith feels terrible because Mosley looks like a jackass. Yeah. You know, in front of... His essentially real right. employer. He's just in an impossible position. And so Maggie Smith uh, holds up her teacup when they're about to go and just says, Will you please take this cup mostly? And you can just see like relief. <laughs> yes. He's like, Oh, finally. Yeah. Something to do. I have a purpose. Yeah. No, and it's not clear to me why they came to visit, because as soon as Matthew comes in, <laughs> right. they're so appalled by his behavior, <laughs> Maggie Smith is like, let's get out of here. McGee is like, oh my god, yes. Yeah. It just, I, I would think just seeing him actually walk in, you'd be like, do we really want our daughter marrying this jackass? <laughs> He doesn't even know how to oppress his servants correctly. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, where's where's society come to? So then we've got Anna is down in the kitchens or somewhere doing some maidly thing. <laughs> um, and there's a kerfuffle in the pantry and these, like, apples roll across the doorway. And then Carson comes in and he's, like, scrambling to pick up the apples. He's like a bear. <laughs> he is. <laughs> like, he just looks like a fool. And Anna's there and she's like, hey... 
And Carson's like... No, he just, like, ignores it. Like, he just walks away and, like, won't make eye contact. I'm like, Mr. Carson, you were as good at stealing as Oliver Twist was at picking pockets. (laughs) You are the worst. You You, just better hope that you have some rich, forgotten uncle who's going to bail you out. Well, and we had also, at this point, better hope that Carson is not, in fact, Batman. Because if so, (laughs) Gotham is screwed. He is going to be killed (laughs) by the jester... (laughs) <laughs> on their first encounter. Yes. So uh, then we go back to the hospital. And Where it's just fun all the time. <laughs> right. Mom is nursing away. Uh, and she's doing... Dr. Clarkson is, is pleased by her work. She isn't... He says he was one of these lady... Uh, great lady Great nurses. lady nurses that faints at the sight of blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's totally, like, cool and, and competent. Uh, yeah, so up we, to her elbows in plasma. Yeah. But then she's got this uh, bold new idea for treating dropsy. What? Yes. Uh, which is apparently, like, sticking a needle... Because it, it's apparently it's it's water around in the pericardial sac, so around the heart. So it's basically draining that fluid out. And then injecting um, adrenaline into the heart to start it up again because draining the fluid out will stop it. So basically uh, that scene in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yes, that's basically what we're getting at here, the, the Edwardian equivalent. And Dr. Clarkson is like... <laughs> well, he says that if they do it, then everybody in the village is going to want the latest fad in medical treatment. Which I kind of wonder, like, are all of these tenant farmers subscribing to, like, medical journals? Like, <laughs> right. How are they even going to hear about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how they're going to hear about it. They had this conversation in the middle of the room with all the patients in it. Like, they're all just lying in beds all around them, listening to them have this uh, conversation. To be fair, medicine is still primitive enough that most of those people will be dead within the hour. <laughs> I just was watching that the whole scene. I'm like, they're right there. Well, I think he has an office, too. Right. So, look, <laughs> glad I'm not at that hospital. Nobody nobody complains. So, <laughs> I guess it worked out. Then yep. we're, uh, we're, we're back to the servants' dining room again. And O'Brien continuing to smack talk MC, as, as she likes to do. But then <gasps> McGee walks in and overhears it, and she is pissed. She is so upset. Yeah. Oh, and she asks O'Brien, is it your place to be saying those things mm-hmm. about uh, Cousin Matthew? Yeah. And, oh my god, I'm like, it's not your place to be downstairs. Like, yeah. this is my immediate gut reaction. No, I know. Like, I'm, like, God forbid I sympathize with O'Brien, but I totally do no, here. No, in like, here, I am so on her side. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's yeah. as ridiculous as when Lord Grantham came down in the previous episode. It's like, right. look, these are your rules. Yeah. You need well, to abide by them. But when Lord Grantham came down, he didn't, like, he knew he was sort of intruding and he That's was, like, kind of, he was a little bit cool about it. Mm-hmm. It was when G just goes off. Yeah. And, like, Thomas says that, you know, they've got free speech. And, well, yeah. Well, once McGee leaves. Well, right. I mean, while yeah. she's there. Let's be clear. When she's there, nobody talks well, and back. Well, she says to O'Brien, and this really sticks in my craw, she says, if we're to be friends, you will never speak in that way about. Any member of Lord Grantham's family. Yeah. And it is just, I mean, it is ice cold. Yeah. It is meaner than anything Mary could even hope of dishing out, yeah, honestly. It's I mean, true. Because it's so backhanded. Yeah. And yeah. nasty. Yeah. And, I mean, basically, once she well, leaves... And, and Mary is never mean to a servant that I can recall. At least not this far that I know yeah. of. But, oh, just... And to, you know, this is her main lady. Yeah, this is her valet, essentially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she spends a lot of time with her. Yeah. And, I mean, for God's sake, O'Brien's just saying the same things that they're all saying. <laughs> yeah. It's not as if... 
she is saying anything that Maggie Smith or any right, of them haven't exactly. already said. They've all been bitching about this guy. Um, it's just awful. So she leaves, and Mrs. Hughes has come in to kind of intercept. And the whole reason she was down there is because she found a button from her new evening jacket outside. Which is yeah. like, how did you even find that? Right. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. She had the button. So Mrs. Hughes is like, hey, no more of that. And that's when Thomas talks about free speech. Right, And, right. you know, he says, Parliament says that they can say whatever they want. Right. And then Mrs. Hughes is like, uh, not while I'm down here. Yeah. It's it's a very, it's really hard because actually O'Brien's really shaken. Yeah, like it really, has, it really hits and her. In O'Brien's mind, she's defending her employer. She's defending right. McGee. Right. Against this, you know, pretender. Well, and it's just, again, that if we are to be friends thing. Like, O'Brien oh. thought they were friends. Mm-hmm. Well, and then she says to Anna. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not friends. And Anna's like, oh, no? Which is kind of unsavvy of Anna. I love Anna. I'm definitely team Anna. But, like, that seems foolish. Yeah. But anyway, but O'Brien says, yeah, and you're not friends with the girls either. Mm -hmm. You know, we're servants and we're paid to do as we're told. And we're like, yeah, you know? Yeah, duh. Score one, O'Brien. Yeah, check the title of our podcast. We know what's up. (laughs) (laughs) So then we've got a, a scene with MC and Molesley, and uh, he's still being a big oaf, you know, picking out his own cufflinks and tying his own tie and just not letting Molesley do anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I forget exactly how the conversation gets to this point, but they're sort of talking about it, and uh, Molesley's... Matthew says, surely you have better things to do. Right. And and Molesley is like, this this is my job. And Matthew says, seems a silly sort of job for an old for a grown man. Oh, which is so awful. Yeah, and he turns and sees Molesley's face, and he's like, it finally is like, like a wait a minute. and you just slammed the oven door. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, kicked it a few times, <laughs> just for good measure. Yeah. Whatever it is you do to souffles when you don't like them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, he's just, because the whole scene leading up to that, like, it's not just that he does everything for himself, but it's that he's, like, so smug and superior No, he's like, oh, I don't need a servant, yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, this is, you know, Mosley was not living in this village. Uh, Maggie Smith was talking to Mosley, like, oh, it must be nice for you to be back in the village. You know, I'm sure your father's very happy to have you back. Mm-hmm. So he's been off somewhere else, probably with a decent job maybe right. that didn't pay as well right but still you yeah, know it's a respectable assignment right and so now he's back and and just working with this guy who, who has no respect for him no and matthew thinks he's doing this great thing right he thinks like, that he thinks that mostly should be thanking him yeah and and just mosley is just devastated yeah. because in fact it is it is not a silly job for a grown man it is you know men's fashion is a complicated thing mm-hmm. and you can use help with it as we are about to learn, now we're gonna we're gonna cut over to our resident shallow materialist Kelly Anakin for a, a segment that we like to call Fashion Backwards. Yes, I did a good amount of this research on our favorite website EdwardianPromenade.com, so I will do my best and I will tweet these specific articles that I was looking at for this. But basically, I mean, we're just starting off with the men's fashion in this episode because there's there is less of it to deal with than mm-hmm. for women. Uh, the basic, you know, suit hasn't changed that much right. uh, in the past couple hundred years. Um, but this was a time of sort of transition. One thing that I discovered is that I've been under the impression that at dinner time and the uniforms of the servants of uh, William and Thomas in particular were tuxedos. It turns out actually the modern tuxedo as we know it did not exist at this time. Oh. Uh, they changed the length of the coat and the tails. And uh, that happened 
I believe, a little bit later on in the 1920s. Oh. Uh, and it was called a tuxedo in America only, actually. In Europe, they called it the Monte Carlo. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I still called it that. I drove a Monte Carlo once. <laughs> Could have worn a Monte Carlo in my Monte Carlo. I highly doubt that would have come up <laughs> that often for you. I went to prom. <laughs> <laughs> So the basic daily thing is morning wear, you would wear the tweed suit generally. You would have a morning coat or a jacket. A morning coat is, I believe, a bit longer than a jacket. So anytime you see Lord Grantham in the morning or, you know, Matthew in the morning, Mm -hmm. the morning coat is a bit longer. It comes almost down to the knee. Okay. And it is single-breasted almost always. All right. So then in the evening, just for an informal dinner, you'd just be wearing a dinner jacket and a black waistcoat. Uh, okay. And the servants are always wearing waistcoats. If you, if they take off their jacket, mm-hmm. you can kind of see they've got this sort of green, like, worsted wool waistcoat on. Oh, okay. um, you can't see it as well, actually, if they're wearing their jackets because I believe the way that the waistcoat is cut it comes basically flush with the jacket itself. Okay. So it's very hard to see that. Okay. Um, I will keep my eyes peeled. Fun fact. I don't think uh, we've seen them go to the theater at this point or anything. Okay. But if you were to go to the theater, you'd have to wear a dress coat, a white waistcoat, a white tie, black trousers, and a silk top hat. Okay. Uh, So you would basically wear your morning stuff uh, up until it was time for dinner. Okay. You always would want to make sure for dinner that you were wearing a black dress coat, a white waistcoat, and trousers that match your coat. Okay. Uh, very important. Don't want to wear a navy pair of pants with a black jacket. Uh, even even I know in that. the modern day. Yeah. Um, during the Edwardian period, we do see a rise in lounge suits and sport jackets. You see that in this scene actually. Anytime Lord Grantham is outdoors, he's generally dressed in mm. some sort of tweed. Uh, generally kind of printed in plaid. Yeah, we've got some of that in this episode, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So um, due to the rise of some new sports, this is the era in which tennis, football, golf, cycling, and motoring, uh, you know, became pastimes. Mm -hmm. So they needed clothes, as I'm sure anyone who's ever been to a Dick's Sporting Goods (laughs) could tell you. And then there's also uh, yachting has a specific dress code. Generally, you had to wear white on a yacht, which presumably had some sort of practical application Uh, If you went overboard, I would think it would be easier to see you if you were wearing white. I guess that makes sense. One thing that I really enjoyed reading was about the different hats. There's obviously the top hat, which is made of silk, which we've seen in these primarily on the women. Lord Grantham wears sort of like a cap in his outdoor scenes. I believe then we see a couple of derbies, which are called bowlers in America. Oh, okay. Um, You know, it's with the rounded dome and then a brim. And we also see... Some new shoes kind of happening in this time period. Uh, there is something called the toothpick. It's a shoe of black or tan with a long pointed toe. Boots were also correct and I think a little bit uh, more popular early on. But after 1910, regular shoes such as the American Boston or Bulldog toe was introduced. Oh it has a blunt round toe with an upward bulge. 
So uh, okay. a lot of things are changing for men in the Edwardian era. And uh, you'll see men with pocket watches. Uh, I think Matthew actually does have a pocket watch. Okay. And you can see that in a couple of scenes here. Walking sticks are pretty de rigueur for a guy of a certain social class. Uh, Maggie Smith has one. Yeah. Uh, presumably for some lameness, but also they were very fashionable. Right. Uh, the umbrella was also acceptable to be used as a walking stick. Okay. If you so chose. Oh, and then uh, one more note on hats. Matthew wears a hat later in the episode, which I believe is a Hamburg, which is similar to the Derby, mm-hmm. uh, but it has a dented crown and a turned up brim. So it's basically like somebody karate chopped okay. your your basic Derby. All right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a basic uniform. You know, you have to wear trousers, a waistcoat. Uh, a jacket and a bow tie in general. Um, mm-hmm. There are some askets and cravats still in play here, uh, especially for the sporting wear. Um, okay. And sort of, I think in the morning it's more casual. I don't think you need to wear a bow tie mm. in the morning, unless of course you are a member of the male staff. Um, right. Because I had wondered actually, because they do change throughout the day, but the staff wears the same outfit all day. Yeah. I'd, um, I don't. I'd pretty much only seen them wearing the same stuff. So. Yeah, I believe the maids have two different outfits. Oh, okay. Uh, one that is for being in the presence of guests and that sort of thing. Right. And one, then one that is for drudgery. Yeah, for you know building fires yes. and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, our first fashion backwards. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> Okay, well, back to the show. The next shot we got is actually a, a really weird shot. It's it's in the three sisters' dressing room or whatever, and so Anne is there helping Mary get ready, and the other two are just sitting there. But we're, we're from the perspective of the mirror, and so all four people in the shot are sort of, like, looking at us mm-hmm. and talking, and it's kind of weird, and the lighting is weird. I have it written down that it would look like an Olin Mills family portrait to me. <laughs> Um, the unhappiest family ever to grace <laughs> Olin Mills. <laughs> that's that's almost certainly not and true. And they're made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, apart from the weird cinematography there, they're just uh, continuing the, the theme of the episode, which is smack-talking MC. That's what Mary's doing. Uh, Sybil is defending him. And uh, Edith is, meanwhile, sitting in the back covertly reading something yes slipping something under a diary or whatever and then when attention turns to her she quickly shoves it away yes she's doing some uh class a snooping yes which edith is clearly a born snooper oh yeah yeah just look at her face yeah exactly that is the face of an inveterate snooper <laughs> yes but then mcg shows up and kicks out everybody uh, except mary um she she sends them off on various tasks and mary's like oh you kicked them out she's like yeah i did what um <laughs> So uh, at, at this point, McGee kind of starts to introduce the new marriage plan that they've come up with, where Mary's going to marry Matthew and fix all of the, all of their problems. Now, McGee strikes me as the worst mother ever in this scene. <laughs> I mean, it, it is not entirely clear that she and Mary have met before. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's she just is so kind of, like, awkward about it and just... It's got a very weird vibe. It feels very unnatural. Well, it gets because Mary's just like, oh, I'm not interested, da-da-da, da-da-da. And McGee, like, snaps. She flips out at her. Yeah. Goes in full-on lizard person mode. Yeah. And she says, for once in your life, will you just listen? Which, I buy that Mary is not big on listening, period. And especially not big on listening to her American mother. (laughs) Yes. Who she specifically calls out in this scene for being American and not understanding the proper way things are done. Which is sweet burn on all of us Americans Mm -hmm. that 
don't understand this show. <laughs> um, yeah, but then McGee does turn the tables on her when she reveals that this idea was, in fact, Maggie Smith's idea. Uh-huh. And Maggie Smith is the least American person on the yes. series. Uh, Mary is under the impression that Granny is going to flip out uh-huh. when she finds out that they want her to marry this gauche dude. Yeah. And, I mean, Mary... I think McGee enjoys pulling this over on Mary because, I mean, yeah. Mary's face goes from being, like, superior and, like, very snotty to just being just, like, slack-jawed open <laughs> for her. Yeah. Which is just a very subtle change in the position of the eyebrow. <laughs> right. But, I mean, she's clearly... Uh, right. McGee has landed a sweet blow. Well, because Mary has failed to account for the fact that Maggie Smith is conservative and aristocratic, but she's n- not stupid. She's, she's not stupid. She's, she's pragmatic. Yeah. She's very adaptable to this situation. So, yeah, that's that scene. Uh, yeah. So then we got, we've got another dinner scene here. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, we did forget to mention that in the previous scene, Mary has uh, expressed outrage that she should be expected to marry a man who can't even hold his knife like a gentleman. <laughs> and we don't really get a good look at what that entails. Yeah. And like, so is he just like, is he like stabbing things? Is, is he holding it by the sharp end? <laughs> <laughs> it isn't ever made clear what the proper way to hold a knife is. Right. Well, we're no gentlemen, so we will never know. <laughs> so yeah, but we are at dinner where everybody's holding their knives one way or another. And uh, so, yeah, the, the cousins are over again for dinner. How nice. Mama is doing a little smack talking of Roan about Dr. Clarkson and about how he's won't try her new ideas and he's being very unhelpful and all that sort of thing. And uh, Lord Grantham just says, oh, I'm sure the doctor knows what he's doing. Shut up. Can we talk about not this? Right. And I like there's a little moment in there when she says, uh, one of your tenant farmers, blah, blah. I, I don't remember his name, whatever his name is. Uh, I believe it's Drake. Yeah, Drake has dropsy. And Lord Grantham's like, oh, Drake, like clearly pretending he recognizes <laughs> that name like of course drake my tenant farmer lovely chap um <laughs> he's a chap right <laughs> sure <laughs> not one of these lady farmers <laughs> um and then uh we continue getting a little uh we, we get some banter back and forth with matthew and mary oh it's some sweet banter it is some sweet banter it's gr- it's possibly the best banter that ever banter yeah mary like assumes that matthew doesn't ride and he's like ah oh, i ride and she says, oh, but do you hunt? And he has to be like, no, 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 hunt. And uh, Maggie Smith is like, oh, I, I imagine you didn't get much opportunity in Manchester. And I'm like, what? Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's a city. Like, there's not as many foxes, I suppose. You could hunt the most dangerous game. <laughs> Maggie Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Only when she's in Manchester. That's right. <laughs> it brings out her dark side. We've been lying in wait <laughs> for the better part of a year to cite the elusive Maggie Smith. <laughs> We're running low on supplies, but we got plenty of buckshot. <laughs> this is uh, another idea for a spin-off series. Mm-hmm. Hunting uh, Maggie Smith. All we ask is 10%. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Mary just continues belittling him to his face. Well, she tells him the story... Oh, yeah. There's a little scene before that with Hughes and Carson. Uh, because Hughes says, uh, Anna said something to me. And Carson's like, what? What did she say? What? Blah, 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 blah. Continuing his streak of being the worst <laughs> stealing guy ever. Yeah, he's just terrible at this... Deceit game. Yeah, just no good at it. Uh, but yeah, then we go back to, to the dinner and... Uh, Mary, she thinks she's got she's got a trick up her sleeve to slam Matthew, uh, which is she decides to tell the story of Andromeda. Mm-hmm. 
which, as she explains, is the story of a uh, princess who was forced to uh, get eaten by a sea monster. Mm-hmm. Like you do. Like, yeah. This is in Greek times. Apparently pretty standard at yeah. the time. And, uh, oh, it was. Um, but then at, at the last moment, a... Uh, Perseus swoops in. Yes, who was the son of a god, I believe. He was. Which, first of all, the first hint that this isn't going to go quite her way is when uh, Matthew says, oh, Perseus? Uh-huh. He knows he the story. Her. Yeah, after he'd kind of acted like he wasn't sure. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, yes, Perseus, and the son of a god. Rather more appropriate, don't you think? Mm-hmm. To which Matthew says, I suppose I'd have to know more about the sea monster and princess in question. Boom! Boom! Bing, bam! Like, Score one for the big baby! Yeah, like, I love Mary and dislike Matthew, but... He wins in a knockout on that mm-hmm. one. That was fantastic. I mean, that was that was Dowager Countess levels. Yeah, of uh, being of, awesome. Of sweet Burndom. You get yeah. five Maggie Smiths. <laughs> yeah, this one time. MC. Yeah, see, just for that two second span. Yeah, but for that two second span, nailed it. <laughs> um, uh, then we head back down to the servants' dining room, and they are having a good time. What? Sort of no, they're not. Third class on the Titanic level, good time. It's, <laughs> it's pretty great. Without the liquor. <laughs> right, without the liquor. Uh, but they have they have a, a book of dances. Uh, yeah, William is playing a jaunty tune right. on the piano, which up until now I didn't realize they had. Yes. But that's nice, actually, because uh, I was reading on the internet, you know, some uh, manor houses would not have any sort of entertainment available for the servants, but mm. some more liberal-minded would have a piano or once they reinvented the phonograph mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, cast off magazines and books of the day. Mm. So clearly this is one of those houses. All right. Again, not as evil as they could be. But yeah, they, they have a book of dances because that's what you did before cable was invented. And uh, Thomas pulls Daisy into a dance. Uh, that What is it called? The, it is called the Grizzly that's Bear. That's what I thought. Which I guess was like the hustle. <laughs> right. Back then, because everybody is like, oh, you can't do the Grizzly Bear. <laughs> And I, I don't know how this dance... Let me put it this way. If you were to watch a video of somebody doing this dance, I could give you 500 guesses as to what the dance is called, and you would not hit Grizzly Bear. Like, it's I don't, <laughs> very weird. Yeah. I I wish we had done more research about that, honestly, because <laughs> yeah. what the heck. But it's right. clear in this scene that Daisy has a boner for Thomas. Yes. Big she is, time. She, her eyes are wide as saucers. This is the highlight of her young life. Mm-hmm. And so we all know what's going to happen next. Mrs. Pat. <laughs> comes in to go <laughs> specifically she says stop that before you put your joints out and <laughs> daisy wasn't even moving oh, right like thomas is kind of steering her around but like this is less this is not strenuous this is less physically taxing than every part of her job mm-hmm. like and it's just this in like i mean because mrs patmore is nuts yes like clearly. she is just kind of crazy red-faced and looney tunes yeah so, yeah, once again, Daisy gets yelled at. <laughs> that just should have been the name of this show. <laughs> yes. Daisy gets yelled at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just saw what the next scene is. Well, it's the scene where we've got uh, Maggie uh, Maggie Smith talking with MC outside. Dinner is over. They're all making their way out. Um, and I was actually, I, I was a little bit unclear as to what was going on in this scene. Oh, really? I thought it was very clear. Well, it's just like, she's like, what would you do if there was no entail? Or if the entail was smashed, Mary was, you weren't going to inherit, essentially. And he's like, well, I suppose I would try to bear up with as much good humor as I could muster. And Maggie Smith is impressed by this, because what she wants to know, because look, she's pushing for this marriage. Right. But if his only interest is the money, I don't think she would be comfortable with Mary being his wife. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, and just I think I mean, she's, I, just, she's trying to take the measure of his character, right? And, and I mean, see I, if he's you know a good witch or a bad witch. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I I agree with that. I just like I like what else was he going to say? Was sort of my thing about it. I mean, maybe. Like I'll throw a big fit and yell at everybody. I you know I don't know. But in any case, what fascinates me is that he is a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. And like their problem seems to be like, oh hey, we can't find a lawyer who's willing to like do this. Right. And yet as a lawyer, he apparently can't see any solution here. Yeah. You know, he's just like, oh, well, I'm a lawyer, but I'm just going to I'm going to take well, a mulligan on this one. I don't think he's going to bust his balls to find a way for him to get screwed out of a fortune. Like I guess. I mean, he doesn't really seem to be enjoying it thus far. Well, that's true because he is a big whiny baby. Yeah. So like, he's there is that. not happy regardless. So Yeah. He might as well uh, screw himself out of a fortune. Yeah. So that's 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 that scene. Then we've got uh, Hughes and Carson again. She's like, seriously, what's Hughes, going on? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hughes, Hughes is uh, trying to find out what Carson's deal is. Um, and he's just like, oh, I was tired. Yeah, from before when he flipped out. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she says, it doesn't look like this match is going to be happening. Then Carson flips out in a way that we've seen him flip out before. Yes. This is vintage Carson. Yes. He's, uh, well, he's very upset about the, uh, the entail. That, that it seems it's not right that she that she should not be able to inherit. And she definitely he definitely thinks that she's much better than Matthew, which yes. like, hey, no arguments here. <laughs> right. And and actually this uh and I'd I'd meant to say something about this earlier. You know what Lord and Lady Grantham really should have done is prepared everybody in their house for this possibility at some point. Yeah. Because this like this was Edwardian times. Like people die sometimes. Even in the modern day, people die uh-huh. sometimes. Somebody at some point should have said, Hey, you know, if anything ever happens to our cousins, we're all screwed. Mm-hmm. Like brace yourselves. Yeah. But uh neither Mary nor Carson nor anyone seems to have had any idea that this was possible. True. Well, I think part of it, though, was mitigated by the fact that it was the one cousin was the heir and then his son was the heir. Right. So, you know, they were all thinking that it was so unlikely that anything should take both of them out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean. Because, I mean, if it came down to it, Mary could have potentially had to marry either one of them. But would she have when it came down to it? Shut up. Then we get a scene outside. Uh, Thomas is fixing a clock, and I believe the real reason he is fixing that is because they got sick and tired of just having them smoking out there, and they needed <laughs> another little bit of business. For Mrs. Him to be Hughes doing. got wind that they weren't doing anything. So. <laughs> right. He's like, I oh, here, fix this clock. But he um, says that his dad was a clockmaker. Right. Uh, so that is why Mr. Carson assigns him to fix the clock. Yeah, which is actually a little character thing. Yeah, like which is part cool. Of his, you know, sense of status and everything. <laughs> Would you, would you like to tell everybody what you're laughing about, Kelly? <laughs> All right. So he's Thomas is basically like, hey, O'Brien, how's it going? And she's just like, oh, you know, the usual. And he's like, yes, my lady. No, my lady. Three bags full. And then O'Brien inexplicably <laughs> says, I'd like to give her three bags full, preferably on a dark night. <laughs> what? what? Three bags full of what? Rocks? Disrespect? A piece of your mind? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, why does it have to be dark? Like, <laughs> she knows who you are. <laughs> who else did she just piss off? Like, I, You know, look, when you're giving somebody three bags full of a mysterious substance... <laughs> best dude in the dark. Yeah, well, otherwise she might, like, dodge. 
Yeah, only get I hit just, with I just, two bags I find full. that hilarious. Like, yeah, what does that even mean? So, uh, if any of you have any insight as to what might be in those bags, please let us know. We are baffled. <laughs> then we've got a scene with uh, Doctor Clarkson talking to Maggie Smith. He's, you know, again complaining about uh, Isabel being all interfering. Be like, oh, you should save their lives. Blah blah blah. And what a bitch. Yeah. Saving people's lives. Agreed. Uh, so Maggie Smith makes the se- sensible suggestion that he just fire her. Um, which, to which the doctor says, but won't that be rather awkward? I understand that she intends to be living in the village for some time. And uh, Maggie Smith says, uh, nobody can see the future. Not, uh, not you, not me, and certainly not Mr. Crawley. Uh-huh. Mrs. Crawley. Mrs. Crawley, right. Well, neither uh, of them. Uh, yeah, proving once and for all that she is the alpha female. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, she's her relationship with Isabel is sort of paralleling Mary's with Matthew throughout the thing. Yeah. They're both just real, you know, prickly, let's say. That's putting it lightly. Yes. So then we've got a scene with some tweed going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, MC and Lord Grantham are out walking the estate. Um, and NC says... Thank God TV got invented. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, they've got, they've got the tweed, and I, I think the dog's running around. Uh, and MC says something, and it basically doesn't matter what, it, what he said. Because Lord Grantham had this speech Lord Grantham prepared. has a speech ready to roll. He, In his capacity he, as a surrogate for Julian Fellows. Uh, right. Creator and writer of this series. Yeah. He's basically, at this point, like one of the animatronic hall of presidents <laughs> <laughs> he's in the hall of lords <laughs> oh right just like you see uh, bricks that can come unmortared and blah 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 you see all these problems i see my life's work my life's work anyway are you gonna fix those stones like what have you been doing yeah with your he life? says the stones may crack in the frost and i'm like well you're doing a shitty job yeah if the stones are cracking <laughs> in the frost like way to go like this is england it's yorkshire it gets cold but he's it, trying to sell Matthew on the fact that you can have a full a fulfilling life making a giant house nice for the benefit of like five people. <laughs> right. Like nobody else really gets to enjoy it except for like a couple people. Yeah. Yeah. And uh but it's he's devoted his life to it so he assumes that there was some good reason <laughs> which is not entirely clear that there was. Uh so then uh we get uh Anna's downstairs doing something and uh Bates walks in and <gasps> looks like they're alone at last. Ooh. Yeah, it's That's actually what Bates says and Anna just lights up like an incandescent light bulb. Yeah. Which is really good on the actress. Yeah. Because she's super cute. Yeah, she is super cute and it's clear that you know, we're not just imagining the chemistry that we've been seeing between them. They're both aware of it. And they are uh taking steps to have a conversation. Yes. Away from the prying ears of all the other jack Yes. that they work with. We're apparently at some traveling show down in the pub. Uh, traveling uh, salesman, I think. Oh, okay. There's a there's a guy with a you know sure. wagon full of crap. Yeah, but they basically they basically talk to each other a little bit and get get turned on by what good servants they are. Yeah, like they're, they're really. It's very. You can just cut it with a knife. Yeah, they're really into that. When suddenly the front doorbell rings. What? Yes, it's clearly a dilemma because all the only people there are a woman and a cripple. Um, <laughs> But so the Bates, obviously, cripple outranks woman. Yes. Uh, um, Anna says that uh, Mr. Carson wouldn't like it if a maid answered the door. Yes. Uh, so, so he heads up there, and there is a guy out, on the, by the, out the front door who I can only describe as funny looking. He's a foppish dandy. Well, yeah. I believe the term for him in, in Britain would be a right James. <laughs> he is wearing a bowler hat. He is wearing a bowler hat. He's got a, like a red mustache that doesn't quite match his hair. His hair is clearly gray. Yeah. 
so it's just just a funny looking dude and he and when he starts talking also clearly not of the good sort yeah of he people. does he's got more of a chav accent yeah. going on yeah he, he asks for charlie carson mm-hmm. which whoa charlie i know right yeah we're all shocked i thought is i thought he was like Cher or madonna you know? <laughs> right just carson yeah boom so did everybody but it turns out no his first name is charlie uh <laughs> our butler has a first name it's um, d-h-a-r-i-l-i-e or e-y yeah don't don't check on that at home <laughs> so bates is flustered tells him to hold on but he just pushes his way in uh, and Bates says, Anna, go get Carson. And she's like, yeah, she sees that this is an emergency situation. She runs to get him. And I'm really impressed with how good her little maid cap is on because it doesn't even move. Yeah. I mean, I, I will, you know, the, the maid uniform doesn't seem to be great for running. Or, or, oh, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know. It's a little awkward. But, you know, she, it's crisis mode. She she's, pulls it off. Yeah. She she makes it work. Meanwhile, uh, uh, funny looking guy, uh, you know, barges his way into the library. Bates is trying to. Like bring put him. He's off trying into to a, bring him down to the servants' quarters, right? So that you know he's not a horrible blight and embarrassment <laughs> on the impeccable honor of this house. Yes, uh, but he he will not be denied. Um, and then uh, Sybil shows up. She has been out riding. Also, a fabulous top hat, looking fine. Yes, she is looking very nice. She uh, we 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 aren't clear enough. Mary very attractive. Edith not attractive. Sybil pretty attractive. Yeah, like she's she's good looking. And this she's, this she's is a great a solid outfit. like eight out of ten. Yeah, Mary's a ten out of ten, and right. Edith's a negative six. <laughs> Might be overstating it. Better looking than Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> um, That's a good point. Yeah. So Bates explains why this crazy person is in their library, which he doesn't even know. He's right. just like, he oh hey, what's this guy happened. just showed up, <laughs> yeah. and this is where we are. And Sybil's like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll stay here. In case, she, well, it's actually she's doing them a solid because she says, "I'll stay here in case explanations are needed." Yeah, that's because yeah, you're right. Her presence lends a certain credibility to this very unorthodox thing. Right. Yeah, they are. It is much nicer to have explained themselves to you know the lowest ranking member of the family mm-hmm. first yeah. before it, it moves up the chain. So yeah, we see Anna. She's running. She uh, she uh, tracks down Carson. Then we we cut back to the library. They're having a conversation there. Carson is talking with the guy, and Lord Grantham arrives and naturally wants to know what the hell is yeah, going on. Yeah, he's not one of the people on the admit to Downton list, <laughs> right. which is a very short list. <laughs> yes. So uh, we uh, basically we figure out what's what's what has been going on, uh, which is that uh, this funny looking guy knows. Carson's dark secret, <gasps> which is that they were, quote, a double act <gasps> on the alls, uh, which means that they were music hall entertainers back in the day. The cheerful Charlies. The cheerful Charlies. He's got a poster and everything. Uh-huh. Like, and so basically he's like, yeah, I was uh, blackmailing Carson here and he wouldn't pay up. So now I'm blackmailing you. What? Yeah. Which Don't I, you know how blackmailing works? Yeah, so I'm not at all clear why Cheerful Charlie thought this scheme was a good one. Like, he did, you know, he had talked Carson into giving him, like, food and a place to stay. Because he was, I didn't clarify, he's on the run from the law. Uh-huh. Uh, so he needed a place to hide. Oh, I knew it as soon as I saw that mustache <laughs> that clearly didn't match the drapes. <laughs> right. Well, it wasn't, we don't know if... We don't know if the carpet matches the drapes or the Venetian blinds, <laughs> which is what I'm calling that mustache. <laughs> that is a good name for it. Yeah, so uh, he's on the run from the law. He did, He did. you know, Carson was getting food. He'd given him a place to stay. 
Uh, Carson's very, he says, in my weakness, I did all this for him. And so Lord Grantham's like, so why are you here if he did all that? And he's like, because he, he didn't pay up. He didn't give me money. Yeah. Which, to which Carson, because he isn't an idiot. Carson's a great dude. And he's like, if I did that, what was to stop him from coming back later and asking for more? Yeah. Which is exactly the problem with blackmailers. Uh-huh. So Lord Grantham just walks up to the guys like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you 20 pounds, and then I am never going to see you again. And Cheerful Charlie's like, oh, I don't know if I can promise. And Lord Grantham's like, no, if I see you again, you will go to prison. Yeah. For years. Yeah. And which is, again, I don't know what Cheerful Charlie thought was going to happen. Because he really, again. He was probably all hopped up on goofballs. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably true. Whatever those might have been. The Edwardian, Edwardian equivalent of goofballs. <laughs> right. I don't even know what the present day equivalent of goofballs is. Yeah. Uh, nor do I. So, uh, tenants, if you know what a goofball is, if you can get us some, please let us know. We'll we'll do a whole podcast on goofballs. We're, we're ready to experiment. So, yeah. So, Cheerful Charlie fucks off, presumably never to be seen again, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Uh, but this, this brings us to our favorite segment, well, it's not necessarily our favorite segment. It's the only one we've done twice now. <laughs> yes, this is uh, when we talk to teacher's pet Tom Schneider <laughs> and Tom repeats history. Yes. Uh, so I'm here to talk today about the music halls that we just learned a little bit about, um, which were sort of, they were they were basically, they had a little bit of everything. Uh, in America, we called it vaudeville. It was essentially the same thing, although in Britain, the term vaudeville specifically referred to like burlesque. Mm-hmm. So it was a, you know, vaudeville was saucy, but music hall was just the general, all all are welcome to come and get drunk and you know, there was generally a lot of singing. You know, it was sort of centered around singing and then also about half of other, which, what they called spech for the specialty acts. Okay. Um, and that included all sorts of things. Like a lot of modern art slash entertainment forms got their start in music hall. You know, stand-up comedy essentially mm-hmm. got its start in music hall. Drag shows got their start in music yeah, hall. Yeah, that's like uh, if you've ever seen the movie Tipping the Velvet. Right. That would have been then uh, which, music hall, not burlesque. Right, which may be Victorian, but we should maybe I add believe that is Victorian, anyway. <laughs> but it, well, it would have been the same though, right? Right, and that was music hall. That was uh-huh. the same genre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they weren't that innovative. Yeah, well, and also Carson's, you know, an older man at this point. It probably was Victorian mm-hmm. times when they were doing it. And also actually professional wrestling got its start. Well, in, hey, in WWF, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Tip your hat to the musicals <laughs> of Edwardian England. Right. Sort of the historical uh, uh, most notable part was the Music Hall War of 1907, which is a dramatic name. It was actually a strike. Um, oh. There was a, a big strike against the music halls uh, in 1907, which was basically successful. They wound up pretty much getting everything because all the top acts, who of course didn't need to strike, they were all getting paid just fine, mm-hmm. but they all went out in solidarity. And oh, man, you never see that anymore. No, you certainly don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... But it but it worked, and then they got better rights in the, in the music halls. There, they were they were still very popular in World War One, uh, but they started to decline during and after the war, largely because in 1914 Parliament passed a law that said you couldn't drink in the auditorium anymore, Boo. which had always been a central component of music hall. Yeah, it's really hard to get sober people to audience. sit still and pay attention to 
anything, which yeah. is why I think many churches serve wine. <laughs> yes. Um, no, so that after that, there had to be a separate bar. And then in 1923, you weren't allowed to drink anywhere in the music hall, which was really just sort of – because guess what? At the opera or the like legitimate theater, you could still drink just in the working class. Oh, gee. You yeah. Surprise, Up yours surprise. downstairs. Exactly. A lot of famous people, or uh, some famous people at least, got their start in music hall. Uh, Stan Laurel of mm-hmm. Laurel and Hardy fame. I got to start there. Uh, Jules Leotard, inventor of the Leotard. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. <laughs> that is an unfortunate invention. <laughs> yes, uh, but he he was a uh, I think a trapeze artist or something along those lines. Well, it would yeah, stand. Re- exactly. Look, you don't just wake up one day and go, "Oh my god, I just thought of this horrible <laughs> garment that shows off all your flaws." Yes, better run down to the patent office. I'm Jules Leotard. I have no flaws. Um, <laughs> he may not have been French. I don't know. He sounds French. Um, yes, and and most famously. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, mm-hmm. as well as his brother Sidney Chaplin, who I like to think of as the original Johnny Drama, <laughs> um, or uh, Charlie Murphy. Yes, Frank Stallone. The list goes on. Any of the lesser bald ones, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, they 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 all owe a debt of gratitude to Sidney Chaplin, who blazed the path to irrelevance for them. <laughs> So, and there were, it, it was its own style of music. Uh, some of the most famous ones are It's a Long Way to Tipperary, which you may mm-hmm. have heard, and the song Enery the Eighth. I'm Enery the Eighth, I am. Oh, I thought just the Girl Scouts made that up. Uh, no, it was a music hall song later made popular by Herman's Hermits in ah. the 60s. Um, also, many other songs. I would like to read off some of my favorite titles. Again, this is from Wikipedia. I think these are oh, all real. Oh, is one of them about penises? Sadly, well, none of them are clearly about <laughs> penises. Um, so here's Tom's favorite musical songs. Daddy Wouldn't Buy Me a Bow Wow, Down at the Old Bull and Bush, Hello, Hello, Who's Your Lady Friend? Uh, <laughs> Hold Your Hand Out, Naughty Boy. This one, it's, it's simple, but I like it. It's just called, Where Did You Get That Hat? <laughs> and finally... And I know nothing about this apart from what it is here because it didn't have a link anywhere else. Your baby has gone down the plug hole, also known as a mother's lament, also known as the angel's reply. That's there you have it. That is what I know about music hall songs. Kelly is stunned. This is not a visual medium, so you can't really tell. I just <laughs> but she is stunned. I guess it's just a testament how horrible life was back then <laughs> that these are the things that they did for fun yeah baby's gone down the- what is a plug hole it's like the drain in the sink oh my or the god bathtub, which is not big enough for even the smallest of babies no but still look i feel upset like i might throw up okay. so let's continue talking let's let's get back to the show man that was surprisingly depressing i thought that was gonna be like a jaunty little you know I, you ah. know, <laughs> history generally depressing yeah That's... i will never make that mistake <laughs> again i will from now on i'm just going to expect that tom repeats history is <laughs> going to just shock and appall me and then i i think that can be arranged okay great yes 
So back to the show. Yes. Uh, we, we've got Anna and Bates. They're talking about, you know, the events that they've just witnessed with the blackmail and all that. Um, they're super nice about everything. They're not going to, like, go blab to all the other su- servants and everything. They say that uh, Mr. Bates, however, insists that they're going to think of him differently now that they mm-hmm. know he's one of the cheerful Charlies. Anna says otherwise. Uh, and uh, something like, and respect him all the more for it or something like right, that. Right, right. You know. Anna only thinks the best of people. Mr. Bates clearly having a good internal chuckle, like I may be a cripple, but at <laughs> least I never trod the boards. Yes. Uh, however, Mr. Bates hints darkly that... Yeah, Anna says she expects that she would like Mr. Bates no matter what she found out about him. Right. And Mr. Bates is like, no, you wouldn't, essentially. And she's like, what? And he's like, just keep watching, possibly till next season, who knows. Um <laughs> Uh, and I, I do. I, I just have a note here that says uh, Anna really deserves better than Mr. Bates. Oh yeah. Just a note. Possibly Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so then we've got a scene uh, with uh, some more smack talking uh, with McGee and uh, Maggie Smith uh, talking smack about Isabel. Mm-hmm. They find out that uh, Isabel is going to the hospital. I'm not picturing this in my mind how they figure that out. They uh, McGee comes to tea at Maggie Smith's house. Right. Right. And they're talking about. Isabel being at the hospital, and McGee tells her that she just went down there. Right, right. Uh, and Maggie Smith is like, uh, I just talked to Dr. Clarkson about all this. Yeah, so she's so, like, so Maggie Smith is like, let's go. Uh-huh. I gotta get down there and keep this woman out of my domain. Then, uh, so then we, we cut to the hospital, and it's uh, Isabel and uh, Dr. Clarkson. I, I've written down, uh, and I think this sums up the scene properly, mom demands Mr. Clarkson do thing, he will. for those of you who don't have access to the innards of tom's brain come on that was perfectly clear mom has gone into the office that dr clarkson clearly has with a small vial of adrenaline which apparently you can just buy places uh Uh, i don't know maybe that's maybe that's goofballs right there (laughs) so she goes in she's like i have the adrenaline do this procedure otherwise i don't like you no more (laughs) and she finally browbeats him into kind of like at least like considering doing it yeah um and i mean and it can't be overstated how great cousin isabel slash mom slash harriet jones is in these scenes of anybody on the show yeah no i mean she's the only one who comes close to the greatness of maggie smith yeah like she's really really good no because he he just keeps making his excuses he's like i just wish i was more familiar with it and she says is that what you were going to tell his family yeah and she's basically just saying, look, if he's going to die anyway, right, exactly. why are we still talking about this and not making with the adrenaline? Yeah. And, and Dr. Clarkson sees her point. So he's, he's, he's finally given in and he's going to try this new procedure. Um, so we cut to the patient, um, Dr. Clarkson, sort of explaining what the situation is. And then Maggie Smith barges in. And she wants everything stopped. Oh, she is imperious and mad. She's and and because they had just been explaining to the wife what the deal was and that it was yeah. dangerous and it could kill him, mm-hmm. but that he would die anyway. And Maggie Smith barges in and is like, "I will, I will not have you disturbing this man's final hours with this, you know, nonsense." Foofara, foofara, yes. At which point, Mrs. Drake says, "But that's just the thing. I don't want them to be his final hours." And 
Maggie Smith recognizes that there's you know there's no response to that. It's yeah. If she, that's she correctly shuts her stupid pie hole. <laughs> yes, she does. And then we get uh, a little Edwardian medicine scene. It's a it's pretty steampunk. We're into that. <laughs> it is actually, which uh, makes me wonder why people think steampunk is so great. Yeah, I'm like this is clearly awful. Yeah, it I mean is. it's it's terrifying. There's a syringe that is connected to a plunger that is connected to this little bottle, and you just see this horrible slightly viscous sort of like yellow fluid coming out of this man's chest yeah and i am reminded yet again why i did not go to medical school like (laughs) it's horrifying it is horrifying and maggie smith is like is there the whole time and and she's trying to complain yeah in the face of the horror before her still manages to squeak out that she will be bringing this to the (laughs) attention of the board and it's like doesn't the board know what goes on in hospitals (laughs) yeah are they gonna be like yeah look Shit like that goes down every day, lady. Yeah. Maggie, uh, Maggie Smith, not pass out. Like, she sticks no, it out. She, she holds you know, it together. No, she does acquit herself fairly well. Yeah. The doctor says that his heart stopped. Right. So there's... And, and at this point, Mom is holding Mrs. Drake. And Mrs. Drake isn't... Wisely is not looking. Because yeah. I don't think I can handle watching you yeah. get your heart steampunked out. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. think I would enjoy that at Agreed. all. Um, and um, so then he takes the adrenaline and injects it and, and, and he's fine. It yeah, works. It works. And I just also like to say too, like I really, I appreciate because in any medical drama, somebody's heart stops and then they come back to life. Like it happens so many times, but in this case, it was clearly laid out beforehand that that was a likely scenario that they had planned for his heart to stop. Well, and no, work that it. is how the procedure works. Right. You pull out the liquid until the heart stops and then you attempt to restart it with the adrenaline, and it's very clearly right. stated that there is a big likelihood that it won't start again. Right. But this is on PBS, so right. it's yeah. fine. I mean, it's clear from the logic of the story that there's no way this is going to fail, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's handled pretty well. I, you know, I, I enjoyed the scene, and, and uh, they're so you know, plain and in love. It's very sweet, yes. the Drakes. Oh, um, they remind me of us. <laughs> yes, indeed. Both solid threes. <laughs> um, but yes, happy ending for the Drakes is all very good. And happy ending for Cousin Isabel. And happy ending for Cousin, yes, because her, you know, not her life was on the line, but her, like, her status. credibility. Yeah, her and, credibility you know, was very much on the her line. Her future here. as part of this family. Yeah. That she didn't ask to be a part of. Right. Uh, but it, it works out. She is vindicated. So then we've got a scene with Lord Grantham, uh, Dr. Clarkson, and MC. They're hanging out together, talking about what's happened. And Lord Grantham's were like, why don't you just make Isabel chairman of the board? And she's had her, th- her own way there long enough. It's time for some loyal opposition. And they all laugh. They all la- because laughing at women never goes out of because style. Because women, it's just all kind of a game. Like, yeah. who cares what women do? Yeah. They have their little fights. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're willing to democratize the hotel board, but not uh, the British way of life, which is <laughs> hilarious. Right. <laughs> um, so then they're heading out to the... Uh, Matthew's heading out to the car. Uh, Lord Grantham invites him to stay for dinner. He, he declines. Uh, but then he's, uh, he, he sort of is like, I have been meaning to talk to you about Molesley. Would you find me ungrateful uh-huh. if I were to dispense with the services? And to which my response is, yes, because that is what ungrateful means. <laughs> That is how you can tell that somebody's being ungrateful when you give them something and they reject it. Yeah. That's, that's how it goes. 
and and Lord Grantham finally sets Matthew straight. Yeah. He's like, oh, and you know, what is he supposed to do? And then when you were Lord here, what about all the people that are working here? Are they not to have livelihoods? What if Daisy? <laughs> what? Well, For the love of God, let <laughs> Daisy stay. Exactly. And uh, I, I don't think MC replies or anything, but he's clearly like gotten the message. He's chastened. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was already receptive because he clearly like insulted Molesley like uh-huh. grievously and he yeah. did feel a little bad about that yeah. as much as he was trying to fight it. And then we've got another uh, Aaron Sorkin style walk and talk with the sisters walking through hallway after hallway mm-hmm. which I was watching that and I was just like can you imagine living in a house that is that big that it just takes them like 10 minutes to walk from one part of the house to the other it just seems like weird. Well and it's just I mean I'm not very clear on what rooms they use for what right but i'm like seriously i just i don't understand how it works because Mm -hmm. if you look at downton abbey from the outside there have to be hundreds of rooms yeah it's gigantic i mean just the idea that they might be able to use even a fifth of it yeah yeah but whatever yeah i mean that's just how it's done clearly so it's look it's the name of the show it's not going anywhere uh, but they're discussing uh matthew crawley and smack talking him as everybody does uh throughout the episode but uh mary points out that certainly if she passes him up edith will take him uh-huh and edith agrees edith totally will yes uh, edith taking mary sloppy seconds uh <laughs> going on 18 yeah. or so years now yeah uh also fuck off edith <laughs> seriously yes uh, Edith then uh, t- uh, takes this opportunity to drop the bombshell that she has been snooping, uh, uh, that she knows about E.N. Mm-hmm. Um, Sybil's very upset because Sybil wants to know. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't like being left out as the baby sister. Right. Which I'm sure has always and will always continue to happen. Yes. But that's life. And E.N. is apparently some... Uh, uh, Evelyn Napier. Yes. A- who is a... He's the son of... A Viscount, I think. Okay. Or as a Viscount himself. A Viscount is involved. Yes. <laughs> so he's a, you know, nobility. It's mm-hmm. not bad. And she, apparently he is much more Perseus than Sea Monster. Yes. So they all concerned. have a good old laugh. Yes. In their traveling sideshow of bitchery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got a, a Hughes Carson scene. He is, you know, sad about the whole, uh, you know, blackmail thing. Oh, in, in the hubbub of all that, he resigned. And Lord Grantham just said, oh, you're not going to resign He's over He's like, this. shut up, dude. Yeah. So we've all got... Tie cha- my tie. We've all got chapters in our past best left on red or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm like, do you? It seems <laughs> like you've pretty much just been in this house for your whole life. Except yeah. for that time you went to America and made your wife marry you for money. <laughs> which Indeed. that worked out, so shut up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's very like generous and nice of him. <laughs> yeah. Not as evil as he could be. But Hughes gives him a pep talk because she's great. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, you're a... a credit to this house and and just all these things which are perfectly true mm-hmm. he's just a classy dude and shouldn't feel bad yeah he's worried he's a situation. sad old fool and i'm like yeah you are when you make that face <laughs> come on i thought you were a cheerful charlie <laughs> what is this about <laughs> yeah no wonder that act didn't work out <laughs> <gasps> yeah and uh, then we've got a scene william attempts to ask daisy out and gets rejected, like, to the point where Daisy doesn't even notice no, or acknowledge. William's got a boner for Daisy. Right. Daisy can think only of Thomas. Yes. Uh, she, despite the fact, clearly barking up the wrong tree, both in terms of morality and, and 
you know and sexuality yeah, and, and he's, all he's, sorts of reasons also she looks like she's like 12 and i mean thomas looks like he's got to be a couple years older than william at least yeah i mean i think william and daisy both look really young right probably younger than they actually are right but i mean thomas looks like he's probably in his mid-20s yeah and yeah. they both look like they're barely like you know daisy looks like she can't be more than 14 and william looks like he's maybe 16 yeah and this, again, it's hard to say because the actors are older than that. It's yeah. like you're trying to tell what they're supposed to be playing. Yeah. But so yeah, it, it is an age difference for sure. But yeah, Daisy's got a thing for Thomas. And um, uh, Mrs. Patmore notices that William was trying to right. get her to walk with him to the uh, hospital board yes, ceremony. They're, they're all heading off to the hospital board ceremony. And thank- Daisy is finally allowed to leave the house <laughs> yes. to go somewhere yes. and be seen in public. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the one time when Mrs. Patmore says something like useful and helpful to Daisy, she does not yes. listen or care. Yes. We get a scene with uh, with MC. He's getting ready for this thing, and he finally is going to let Mosley do his job. He has become the sea monster! <laughs> <laughs> yes. So happy ending for Mosley. He's, he's finally going to get to be a real valid. Yeah, good um, for him. Matthew still has to be kind of a dick about it, though. Because, like, he's making, like, oh, you know, it's going to be... It's like at the end of A Christmas Carol when Ebenezer Scrooge shows up at Bob Cratchit's house. He's like, I'm going to act like a jerk, but then I have this turkey. (laughs) (laughs) So Matthew's like, oh, uh, I think maybe I don't want to do these cufflinks there. Can you help me? Because they're they're fiddly. He calls them fiddly. And I'm like, you're fiddly. (laughs) He is. He's the fiddliest. You fiddly baby. (laughs) Yeah. Then uh, everybody's walking to the meeting. Uh, Carson pulls aside Bates and just thanks him and indirectly Anna for just being cool, Mm -hmm. which they are. And then we've got the assembly. Dr. Clarkson introduces Isabel as the new chairman it's like, I'm sure with two such fine women working for us. United by friendship and family. <laughs> yes. And uh, as he says, it's the string plucking of irony commences. <laughs> yes. And Maggie and Isabel look at each other politely. Except secretly seeking. they're like, I kill you! <laughs> yes. So on that awkward moment, we end the episode. Yes. Yes, we do. So uh, it's a fun episode. It is. Things, things are really happening now. That first episode is just a lot of like setting it up and, you know, yeah. most of it's about the death of these people that we never meet. <laughs> right. So, right. so that is it's hard to get weird. really emotionally invested in that. But yeah. now we've got, you know, a lot of different moving parts. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Cousin Isabel. As am I. Uh, Very glad to see her. And, and I mean, I enjoy Matthew as a character and oh, like yeah. the role that he fits in. And it's like he's, he, you know, he's he brings a lot. Well, he brings of conflict yeah. that isn't just you know sniping. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's something real at stake. Finally. Yeah. Now is the time on Up Yours Downstairs where we give out uh, the Abbey Awards. All right. So uh, leading off, we have the Gibson Girl Award, yes. and clearly. Mary Absolutely. by several stacks of silk top hats. Yeah, I mean that writing that outfit first, alone, yeah, that writing outfit in the first scene. Like especially, and keep in mind, and she would have known this as well. That's the first time that Matthew's ever going to see. No, her. and he's like, "Oh, I didn't know they'd be hot." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he actually essentially literally says that at some yeah. point. Yeah, he's thinking they're going to be like these horrible 
ogreish. And um, so yeah, so she gets big points for that. Yes. Uh, she also gets big big points for her outfit in the uh, the tracking shot that we see them going down for the the hospital ceremony. Mm-hmm. She's just wearing a really striking hat with some beautiful feathers. Yes. Really nice dress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mary just nails it Absolutely. in this episode. I, I wholeheartedly endorse. Mm-hmm. All right, and now for best evasion. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to give it to uh, Cheerful Charlie, I, who I, probably has a real name. <laughs> we're we're sticking with Cheerful Charlie. But I Charlie. mean, honestly, he manages to not answer anyone's questions right. for such a long time. Like, And none of the evasions were that skilled particularly. No, but, but I mean, look. It was like people kept asking him and he kept not answering. It's very rare to see someone use the steamrolling approach yes. to question evasion. Yeah. But he managed to do pretty well. Yeah, he brought his own musical style to yeah. that question. So, of so. you know, uh, well done. We didn't like you, but... Yeah, we, we didn't like you. We're glad you're gone. But fair play to your evasion. Yes. Uh, and then finally, the award for best overbite goes to... Edith. Edith. Well, how about that? It's hard to mess with perfection. Well done, Edith. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, the only award anybody actually cares about. <laughs> That's right. Uh <laughs> The uh, the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. What do you think on this episode? I think I'm going to take it down a notch mm-hmm. just because she was really wrong about the hospital situation. Uh-huh. So maybe, I don't know, maybe a three? I think a three. I think a three I think is good. Cause it's not just that she was wrong. She was visibly schooled. She was, yeah. She, like, lost a battle. She really did lose a battle yeah. here. And, I mean, clearly... Didn't yeah, I mean, Maggie I, Smith it out enough to remain the undisputed well, dictator of the hospital? Right. I can't put her below three in an episode when she said, what's a weekend? Oh, exactly. But totally. I, think, I think three Maggie yeah. Smiths is I think, what we're yeah, going to go with Perfectly there. serviceable Maggie Smithdom here. All right. Yeah. So uh, that's our episode for this week. Uh, please check back. Next week we'll be joined by a guest. <gasps> a guest? A guest. How exciting. She's going to be our guest. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're just like a real podcast. I know. <laughs> uh, so please tune in then. And until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs.